Today on AMinder, I'll take you through 11 papers on synaptic transmission and neurotransmitters in Alzheimer's disease. This includes the usual neurotransmitters like glutamate and acetylcholine, synaptic proteins that contribute to plasticity and calcium transport, and synaptic changes related directly to behaviors like aggressiveness and cognitive impairment. It's a jam-packed episode where you're sure to learn something new. Stay tuned! Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. I'm your host today, Ellen Kosh, and I'm once again kicking off another series here at AMinder. Throughout the month of February, we'll be releasing episodes that cover papers published in November of 2022, all about Alzheimer's disease. We have seven episodes total coming out this month, as well as many more bibliographies. For today, I'll tell you about 11 papers that came out on the topic of synaptic transmission in Alzheimer's disease. Make sure you also tune into our next episodes. On February 20th, Judy will tell you about cognitive and behavioral changes in Alzheimer's. And on February 22nd, we have Anusha's episode on treatments targeting neuroprotection. In the following weeks, we'll also be releasing episodes about the immune system, prevention and intervention strategies for AD, and functional connectivity in the brain. By the way, a good time to tell you that I'll be referring to Alzheimer's disease as AD throughout today's episode. Our goal here at AMinder is to give Alzheimer's disease researchers, or AD researchers, a brief and relatively unbiased overview of all the papers published each month. So in addition to the seven podcast episodes, the rest of the papers will be listed by topic in bibliographies. Actually, most of these bibliographies are already freely available thanks to our amazing bibliography team, including Laura Ambasi and Anjana Rajendran. You can find these bibliographies either by clicking the link in the show notes or going to our website, aminder.com. You can also search for any topic on our website and find all of the episodes covering that topic. So for example, if synaptic transmission is your jam, simply search synaptic transmission on our website and you'll find all of the episodes we've published on this topic going back to 2020. If you're currently doing a literature review or studying for your comprehensive exam, this is a great way to get an overview of the most recent research that has come out. Before we get into this month's papers, I do have one favor to ask. If you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, one thing you can do that helps our team out immensely is leave us a review or rating on your podcast app of choice. We're a volunteer-run organization, and doing this can help us to extend our reach to more listeners in the field of Alzheimer's disease. Thank you in advance. Now, we'll get into today's topic at hand, synaptic transmission. This month, I've divided this topic into five sections. First, we'll talk about a few papers focusing on glutamate and or acetylcholine in AD. Then we have one paper on GABA transmission and one paper on neuron excitability. We'll take a short break at this point, after which I'll tell you about four papers about the expression and levels of certain proteins in AD and how they relate to some of the symptoms of this disease. We'll end off with one paper on a bit of a different topic, the neuroimmunoendocrine system. Without further ado, 
Let's start talking about neurotransmitters, starting with a paper on glutamate and acetylcholine. This paper comes from first author Suzuki and last author Matsukawa, and the authors are from institutions in Nagoya, Japan. Published in Scientific Reports, the title of this one is Reduction of Glutamatergic Activity Through Cholinergic Dysfunction in the Hippocampus of Hippocampal Cholinergic Neurostimulating Peptide Precursor Protein Knockout Mice. This research investigates the interplay between glutamatergic and cholinergic signaling in the hippocampus. Both of these neurotransmitter systems are known to be affected in AD. The protein, hippocampal cholinergic neurostimulating peptide, which I'll be calling HCNP, can induce acetylcholine synthesis in the brain region medial septal nucleus. These authors found that knocking out the precursor protein for HCNP led to aberrant glutamate signaling in the hippocampus. They suggest that this might be partly due to impaired presynaptic handling of acetylcholine combined with the upregulation of the muscarinic M1 acetylcholine receptor. All in all, the author suggests that these knockout mice may be a good partial model of AD due to the impairment of both acetylcholine and glutamate dysfunction in this model. Next up, the second paper of the episode explores how cholinergic neurons relate to sleep disorders in the context of AD. This paper is published in Nature Communications by first author Kian and last author Coulson. The authors are from institutions from Australia and Thailand, and the title is Cholinergic Basal Forebrain Degeneration Due to Sleep Disordered Breathing Exacerbates Pathology in a Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. Did you know that sleep apnea and other sleep disorders are strongly associated with Alzheimer's disease? Sleep actually comes up in some of our other topics and bibliographies, including the Risk Factors Bibliography and our episode on Cognitive and Behavioral Changes in AD. In this particular study, Kian and their colleagues wanted to take a deeper look at the underlying mechanisms behind the link between sleep disorders and AD. They achieved this through developing a mouse model of sleep-disordered breathing, which they report shows similar symptoms to the human condition, including sleep disturbances and cognitive impairment, among others. So, they tried inducing sleep-disordered breathing in a familial AD mouse model. These mice had worsened cognitive deficits, increased amyloid beta levels, increased inflammatory markers, and degeneration of cholinergic basal forebrain neurons. As has come up a few times already in this episode, cholinergic neurons are already known to be especially vulnerable in AD. The authors report that the degeneration of cholinergic neurons in their study was related to the accumulation of nuclear hypoxia-inducible factor 1-alpha, and that preventing hypoxia in these mice was able to rescue some of the symptoms caused by the sleep-disordered breathing. Thus, This paper points to a link between sleep-disordered breathing, hypoxia, and the subsequent degeneration of cholinergic neurons. I found this abstract quite fascinating. Interested to learn more about this link in the future. The title of paper number three is Animal Model of Alzheimer's Disease Induced by Streptozotocin, New Insights About Cholinergic Pathway. Published in Brain Research by first author Silva and last author Souza from Brazil. 
The focus of the study is on cholinergic signaling in AD and how this presents in the streptocytosin rat model. This is a model of AD induced by an injection of the toxic agent streptocytosin directly into the brain, causing neural damage and cognitive impairments. The researchers here analyze the long-term effects of this injection on cholinergic signaling, particularly enzymatic activities of acetylcholinesterase and butyrylcholinesterase. Rats treated with streptocytosin had reduced activity of these enzymes in the hippocampus 30 and 120 days post-injection, and a cognitive deficit at 30 days. On the other hand, prefrontal cortex and the liver had normal levels of the cholinergic enzymes. So the authors conclude that perhaps this model is not the best option for studying the cholinergic system. Before making any big decisions, though, make sure you check out the full text of the article to get more details on their experiments and results. The fourth paper of the episode is brought to us by first author Alfaro Ruiz and last author Lu Jian from institutions in Spain and Japan. Published in the International Journal of Molecular Science, the title is Alteration in the Synaptic and Extrasynaptic Organization of AMPA Receptors in the Hippocampus of P301S Tau Transgenic Mice. This study looked at the relationship between tau pathology and glutamate signaling in AD. As you may know, accumulation of tau protein is a key feature of this disease. These researchers explored how tau can affect the expression, density, and distribution of the glutamate AMPA receptors in the hippocampus. They used the P301S mouse line, which expresses mutant human tau protein. The following results are all from 10-month-old P301S mice, and the authors looked at mainly at three layers of the hippocampus, the strata radiatum, strata oriens, and strata lacunosum moleculare. In summary, their results showed that GLUA1 to 4 subunits of the AMPA receptors were significantly reduced at excitatory synapses on spines of the strata radiatum and lacunosum moleculare, but not at the stratum oriens. In all three layers, they found reduced GLUA1 to 4 at interneuron dendrites, as well as reduced labeling at extrasynaptic sites for both CA1 pyramidal cells and for interneurons. Overall, progressive phosphorylated tau accumulation may lead to altered surface expression of AMPA receptors on various neuron types and neuron sites, including both synaptic and extrasynaptic sites, according to the study. This could be behind some of the changes to synaptic function and the cognitive deficits that are associated with AD. Our next paper, paper number five, focuses on GABAergic neurons. The title is Integrative Cross-Species Analysis of GABAergic Neuron Cell Types and Their Functions in Alzheimer's Disease, and it's published in Scientific Reports. First and last author are both named Wang, and the researchers behind this work come from China and Denmark. The researchers of the study undertook the ambitious task of characterizing the diversity of GABAergic neurons across mammalian species. They analyzed datasets from the cerebral cortex of humans, macaques, mouse, and pigs, and identified the conserved cell types across species using single nucleus RNA sequencing. By doing so, they found four major GABAergic neuron subclasses across all of the species examined and characterized them. 
They also identified the genetic regularity networks of these four neuron subclasses. And then lastly, how this ties into AD research. They compared the GABAergic neuron subclasses and their genetic regulatory networks with known AD-related genes. The authors don't go into specific results in the abstract, so make sure you check out the paper itself to learn more. Remember, you can find it in the numbered bibliography that comes with every episode. Paper number six is by authors Zhang and Li, who are based in China, and the journal is Cell Reports. The title is Hyperexcitability of Corticothalamic PT Neurons in MPFC Promotes Irritability in the Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. Here, researchers were interested in the neuronal mechanisms behind some of the neuropsychiatric symptoms of AD, including irritability and aggressiveness. They looked at this in the triple transgenic 3XTG mouse model of AD. They report that pyramidal tract neurons that project from medial prefrontal cortex to the thalamus were more excitable in this mouse model, and they found that this feature was associated with irritability and aggressivity in the mice. This was related to decreased expression of KV6.3 potassium receptors, and overexpressing these receptors was able to rescue aggressive behaviors, as well as the hyperexcitability of the pyramidal tract neurons. The authors don't give a lot of detail about their methods, including how they measured these behaviors in the mice, so be sure to take a peek at the full paper for these details. Their results imply that these corticothalamic pyramidal tract neurons may regulate neuropsychiatric symptoms in AD. With that, let's take a short break, and when we come back, I'll tell you about four papers studying the expression of synaptic proteins in humans and in various models. I'm Lara from the bibliography team here at Aminder. Did you know the episode you're listening to has a numbered bibliography that you can find in our show notes or directly on our website? And all of our episodes come with their own bibliographies so that you can easily find and look into the papers that interest you. If you're also interested in keeping up to date with scientific publications in Alzheimer's research and working in collaboration with other teammates, we would love it if you consider joining us. Send your CV and an indication of what you're interested in doing with us to aminder.com podcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Nearly 1 million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years, and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. We are back. Paper number seven explores levels of various proteins in people with Down syndrome and AD. It's published in the journal Alzheimer's Dementia by first author Chen and last author Mobley out of institutions in California, USA. The title is Reduced Synaptic Proteins and Snare Complexes in Down Syndrome with Alzheimer's Disease and the DP16 Mouse Down Syndrome Model, Impact of APP Gene Dose. People with Down syndrome have a high risk of developing AD. This study explored synaptic dysfunction in Down syndrome cases of AD. 
They looked at this in four groups, people with Down syndrome, people with both Down syndrome and AD, people just with AD, no Down syndrome, and a control group. In these participants, they examined levels of various synaptic proteins. Additionally, they also explored these proteins in a mouse model of Down syndrome called DP16. Overall, the researchers report that AD and AD Down syndrome groups had reduced snare complexes, which are involved in vesicle fusion and exocytosis, and the DP16 mice also had lower levels of SNARE and SNAP25 synaptic proteins. Age and increased dosage of the APP gene affected these reductions in synaptic proteins. It's great to see a study combining work in animal models and in humans. I think more collaborations combining these two worlds of research would be beneficial to all of us. The eighth paper of today's episode comes out of institutions in Italy by authors La Barbara and D'Amelio, first and last authors respectively. It's published in the Journal of Molecular Neurodegeneration. The title is Upregulation of Calcium Binding Proteins Contributes to VTA Dopamine Neuron Survival in the Early Phases of Alzheimer's Disease in TG2576 Mice. The focus of the study was on dopaminergic neurons in the ventral tegmental area of the basal ganglia circuit. The authors are building on previous findings in the TG2576 mouse model of AD, where they found progressive degeneration of dopaminergic VTA neurons associated with deficits in autophagy. For the present work, they took a closer look at how VTA neurons that project to the nucleus accumbens are affected in the AD model. They looked at a variety of measures, including but not limited to mitochondrial integrity, autophagy markers, protein expression levels, and electrophysiology. The authors report that the dopaminergic neurons were degenerated starting at three months in the AD model, and this was accompanied by mitochondria damage and translocation of apoptosis-inducing factor from the mitochondria to the nucleus. There's an overall loss of neural expression of the calcium-binding proteins, calbindin, D28K, and calretinin, but they did find that the remaining neurons upregulated their levels of calcium-binding proteins, so perhaps this is a compensatory mechanism. Check out the paper itself for the full scoop on the results. The researchers end by suggesting that perhaps the upregulation of calcium-binding proteins could help in preventing neuronal damage in AD. Paper number 9 is published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Krishna and last author Subramanian. They are from the National Institutes of Mental Health and Neurosciences in India. This one is called Pathological dissimilarities in neuronal exosome-derived synaptic and organellar marker levels between Alzheimer's disease and frontotemporal dementia. These investigators were interested in both AD and frontotemporal dementia and how both synaptic proteins and organellar proteins are affected in these disorders. To do this, they extracted exosomes or extracellular vesicles from the plasma of AD and frontotemporal dementia patients, as well as healthy controls. Using transmission electron microscopy, they found that the synaptic protein neurogranin and mitochondrial protein mitofusin 2 were both reduced in both disorders, while lysosomal protein LAMP2 and the Golgi-associated protein Golgin A4 were increased. The authors think that these similar changes for both disorders may reflect shared mechanisms of protein pathology in both AD and frontotemporal dementia. 
Our last paper on synaptic proteins comes from first author Kalusi and last author Grassi, published in Neuropathology and Applied Neurobiology. Coming from institutions in Rome, Italy, paper number 10 is Cytoplasmic HDAC4 Recovers Synaptic Function in the 3XTG Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. Histone D-acetylase 4 which I'll refer to as HDAC4, is a protein involved in processes like transcription, synaptic plasticity, and development. The authors of this paper wanted to expand on the recent findings that HDAC4 is associated with AD. They used the triple transgenic AD mouse model and looked at the role of this protein in synaptic function in hippocampal tissue and in primary neuronal cultures. The AD mice showed a delocalization of HDAC4 away from the synapse and into the nucleus. Then they tried overexpressing a cytoplasmic HDAC4 mutant in CA1 pyramidal neurons of organotypic hippocampal slices. When they did this with the triple transgenic AD model, they found increased dendritic length as well as enrichment of important synaptic proteins compared with control AD neurons not treated with a mutant. HDAC4 overexpression also had other positive effects, including restoring spine density and synaptic transmission measures. The authors hope that their discoveries could lead to new insights into AD pathology and potential treatment targets. If you're interested in treatments targeting neurons in AD, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, Anusha will be hosting an episode this month on this very topic. Catch her episode, Treatments Targeting Neuroprotection, next week. We've made it to the last paper of the episode. This is a bit of a different topic, on the neuroimmunoendocrine system. There are just three authors for this one, Beata Corral de la Fuente and Jimene Lort from Spain, and the journal is Behavioral Brain Research. The title is Sex-Dependent Worsening of NMDA-Induced Responses, Anxiety, hypocortisolemia, and organometry of early peripheral immunoendocrine impairment in adult 3XTG AD mice and their long-lasting ontogenic modulation by neonatal handling. That was a long title, so don't worry if you got lost in that title. I tried to uh, summarize the abstract for you as simply as I could. This paper focuses on the neuroimmunomodulation hypothesis for AD, which predicts that changes to the immune system in AD lead to adverse effects on neurons. In male and female 3XTG AD mice, compared to controls, they looked at the effects of treatment with NMDA, which agonizes the glutamatergic NMDA receptors. They were interested in the effects of NMDA on peripheral organs and the endocrine system in AD mice. They found that treatment with NMDA caused reduced motor activity in in an open field task and corticosteroid responses, and that this was more apparent in male mice and in AD mice compared to wild-type mice. Interestingly, in wild-type mice, female mice showed a stronger NMDA-induced depressant effect than males. Additionally, these authors looked at the effects of neonatal handling and showed that this may potentiate the depressant effects of NMDA in wild-type males and females. The overall take-home message from the authors was that there seemed to be differences in the endogenous vulnerability 
and the neuroprotective capabilities of the neuroimmunoendocrine system, and that these differences depend on sex, age, and AD status. There were a lot of findings in this paper, and I wasn't able to decipher all of them from the abstract, so I'd advise you to check out the paper in detail if you're interested in these authors' results. This month, we actually have an episode coming out all about the immune system in AD, hosted by our brand new host, Anelia. Check it out if this is a topic that interests you. It'll be released in the next couple of weeks. And that's it. If you're interested in exploring any of those papers that I just went through in more detail, check the show notes on the app you're listening to us on or at aminder.com to find the numbered bibliography for today's episode. If you like today's episode, we'd really love it if you'd leave us a review and or a rating on the podcast app of your choice. On Apple Podcasts, you can leave reviews, for example, and on Spotify, you can leave a rating. These reviews really help us to reach more listeners that would benefit from the show and it really means a lot to us. If you've already left a review, thank you. And if you haven't yet, thank you in advance when you do. This episode was brought to you by our amazing team of volunteers. Our sorting team was the one who divided all the abstracts from November 2022 into bite-sized episodes for the month. I scripted, hosted, and edited today's episode. Anelia Gandhi reviewed my script, and Anusha Kamesh reviewed the audio editing. Laura Ambasi created the bibliography and the word cloud for today's episode. The music you've heard throughout today's episode was composed by Anusha Kamesh, who is also our audio manager here at Aminder. You can find more of her work at AK Music on YouTube or on SoundCloud under her name. Make sure you tune in to the rest of our episodes this series. We have episodes coming out every Monday and Wednesday for the next couple of weeks, covering the papers published in November 2022. If you're interested in joining the team, we're currently recruiting. Send an email to aminderpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us at any of our social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We're most active currently on Twitter and Instagram. We're also going to be starting a Patreon page up and would like to offer perks to our members who join our Patreon. If you have any ideas for perks that you think would be great to have, let us know. We really would love your feedback. With that, have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you again soon.